All right, episode 30 with Ryan Joyce. Uh, Ryan's a fantastic uh, magician, illusionist, hypnotist, kind of does it all. Great entertainer. Um, he's traveled all over the world performing, and we had a great, great, great conversation. I know you're going to really enjoy this one. Sit back and relax. Here's Ryan Joyce. <laughs> I'm good. How are you? We're here with Ryan Joyce. Nice to see you, Darren. Gosh, we've crossed paths over the years many times. Yeah. Last time I seen you was on a ship. That's right. That's we were right. Cruising and, Barbados, uh, if I remember right. Yeah. Yeah. It was all of a sudden we just saw you. That's yeah. It was a big surprise. And uh, you just it, did the same thing with uh, my brother Brad. You just saw him in. Uh, that's right. With San Juan, wasn't it? You just yeah. It was crossing a, the street, and there he was. Yeah, it was a cacophony of errors for my travel day that I ended up in San Juan. I wasn't even supposed to be there. You know, I was, I was flying to uh, Houston, and all those flights got canceled. So it was. It was I mean, your roll of the dice. You can't even believe that would happen. And sure enough, yeah. walking down the street at ten o'clock, trying to find food. You know what it's like when yeah. you, you travel for a living. Uh, and, uh, I just randomly look up and there's Bradley walking down the street, my, you know, visceral Bradley <laughs> and he was there with the whole group. So it was great. It's great. I've, yeah. The, the family's been, you know, your whole family is, yeah, I've crossed paths over the years. You, one of the first shows I ever did in Brantford, Brantford Sanderson center was with, with yeah, your at family. a Christmas show. Yeah. 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 This will be, uh, year 19 for us doing the Christmas wow. show um, there. So yeah, it's going to be 20 pretty soon. But wow. I'll cool. never forget because I had a panic moment with, with that, that show. I, as a magician, we rely a lot of uh, technology for seamlessly making our shows possible. So I have a whole computer that runs all the audio effects that I can control from my pocket. Yeah. Uh, I can also tether that with the lighting and such. But um, yeah, and sure enough, I don't, I don't know what it was, whether the, the belt pack from the team, the batteries died or whatnot, but I press play and there's no music whatsoever. You know, and this is the first day with you guys that yeah. we just met. I walk out to that, but you know, I'm used to that. We always have stuff go wrong. Yeah. And it's how you And do it always it. seems dramatic for you. Right. But the audience doesn't even know they were supposed to be in something nope. there anyway. So not a thing. I can throw you. Uh, yeah, and except in some cases with magicians, they'll know if it's really bad. You know, they'll know if you have a really big mistake. But thankfully, over the years, I haven't had anything too dramatic yeah. that, you know, that, that throws you off guard or, or looks really bad. But there's been a couple, don't get me wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so what would you title yourself? Um, I know there's in your land right. of uh, what you do, there's kind of different, you know, right. titles. But what would you ex explain? Yeah. Um, you what know. is the job? Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, uh, there's no real battle in my mind about magician, illusionist, entertainer. I, I just, I, I'll fall under all of the same basket. Yeah. Um, a magician technically is, um, it covers the full spectrum and an illusionist would represent someone who does the bigger scale stuff. So I've, yeah. I've danced in both of those worlds. Yeah. Uh, when I was on Penn and Teller's Foolish, I, I would have technically classified as an illusionist, but it doesn't. It's all semantic. None of that means anything to, to anybody. I also, like, I wear a lot of top hats, to be honest with you. I'm also in the, the filmmaking side of it uh, for a passion, not for, for profession, but, uh, and, and, and producing as well. We're, we've filmed a, a show we're trying to sell, and, and, of course, in the industry, there's lots of, lots of struggles. So, you know, it's ups and downs. I'm, I'm just starting that career. So filmmaking is a separate side of it. Over 8 million views on YouTube, a handful of videos gone viral, um, which is kind of unique and fun to experience real yeah. time. You know, that's, that's a little different, but I, I so I, I, 
if I were to internally classify myself, I, I just sort of say a visual storyteller. I really like telling stories, whether it's through magic or, or filmmaking, or like I also do a hypnosis show, a yeah. comedy hypnosis show. So whatever it is that takes to connect with a group of people, it really gets, gets me going. So let's go back. Uh, I always like to go back and sort of figure out where everyone came from. Um, yep. And uh, so are you uh, Ontario born? I am Hamilton, Ontario, born and raised. Uh, I was born in St. Joseph's, very complicated, uh, almost, you know, died at birth kind of thing. Everything's oh, really? got to be over-exaggerated. Yeah. yeah, jaundice, real bad, and, and complications. I have a, eye problems. I only see out of one eye at a time. Real real unusual start to a visual uh, industry, but I feel like those, those little setbacks made it more enjoyable or at least more of a challenge. I've always been a guy that likes challenge. I'm always doing 25 things at the same time. Yeah. So I, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I <laughs> gotta, gotta keep busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I started, yeah, I was exposed to magic early on as a kid. I could tell you, of course, it was probably a magic kit or something that, that got the spark, but it, it, my earliest memories involve thinking in magical ways. You know, I remember being in junior kindergarten. That was something we had in Ontario at a time. And, um, and just making, you know, the little rubbers, the, the, uh, the pencil erasers disappear. And, and, and in my mind, it would have been magical, but as a kid, it would have been just the dumbest thing possible. But that was the, the beginning for me. And my parents sort of nurtured that kind of environment. They bought me a kit, magic kit for Christmas, and I did my first show, oh, yeah. you know, for the family, right, yeah. at, at New Year's. And that became a little bit of a so family tradition. So what did you do in the first show? Do you remember? Oh, gosh, I have footage of it. So, yeah, I, yeah that can be bribe material. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was a top hat and a cape involved and a magic wand. Yeah. It was a Houdini magic kit that you would get at Toys R Us. Like, it wasn't, we're, we're not yeah. talking world-class anything no. uh, at this point. And and, uh, and my brother was in the show and all my, you know, my family members watched it. And that was, so that was the beginning and the beginning of the end, I guess. Um, and then I've never done magic my full-time career. Like I've never had a real job, you know, like this, I, I, I view it as a lot of luck, of course, but yeah. uh, opportunities where luck meets hard work and, and those both have collided, but man, there's a lot of luck in this industry. Yeah, there certainly is. So you did your first, you know, little show in front of your parents and, and yeah. all that. And so where do you go? I mean, I understand where you go as a musician or that type of thing, but uh, in that land where, you know, it's not as if there's a magic teacher and around the corner, you can't go take piano lessons and magic. (laughs) Right. That's right. Yeah, that's right. So so where do you go to learn the craft or how do you, how do you take the first next step from, from, you know, picking up a magic kit. I was really fortunate to, my family relocated to a, a community called Fergus, Ontario, um, which is just north of Guelph. It's a, Fergus Lore has become quite a tourist area. At that time, it wasn't uh, known for what it is today, but now it's got uh, like a hotbed of, of magicians just happen to be in this area. It's All just right. super crazy how, how life drops those little baskets in front of your door. Yeah. And so I, I relocate there with my family and... Um, and sure enough, in the newspaper, probably within a couple of months of us being there, my mom reads an article about a, a local magician, that a, a kid, a 14, 15, that won in a competition, a magic competition. And so that led me down the doorway to what professional uh, magician organizations exist in the world and that yeah. sort of underlining 
organization structure. And so there's monthly meetings, you know, scattered throughout Canada um, and the U.S. and around the world that are all part of a larger organization, like, you know, like Kinsmen's Club and Lions Clubs and such. Are, yeah. It's the same. It's like a, a social club, I guess, for magicians. So... Uh, I started going to those. My mom would take me. She'd ha- she had to join as well, you know, because I, I was so young. Um, and uh, that kind of, that, that opened the, the floodgates completely. I was really, I can't even believe the people that I met in that club. That's why it's so, it's so fortunate. The, uh, one of the most influential women in magic comes from Alora, uh, Ontario. Oh, yeah. And she started the Canadian Association of Magicians, which is the largest um, organization for magicians uh, that exists. And it was single-handedly because of her um, allowed Canadians to compete in what would be the classified as the Olympics of magic. We have all that same structure that you know yeah. you would expect anywhere else. Uh, and this, so the FISM is what it's called. Um, and so this, this Olympics happens every three years. And it's never, ever come to North America. It's always in Asia or, or Europe. And because of her and another um, lady that runs a huge magic festival in Quebec, mm-hmm. not only is the Olympics coming to North America for the first time, but it's coming to Quebec City in Canada. Oh, wow. So it's really it's really a huge deal. This will draw eight to you know 12,000 people. It'll be, it's going to be a huge, huge event. Um, so it's exciting things. And so that, I call that, that, that lady, uh, Joan is her name, but mm-hmm. I call her my second mom because that's how close we are as, as, uh, through just through the years we've, she's, she's been a mom to me. So really, really incredible, uh, foundation there. And from there met all sorts of other people that started this long career in, in entertainment. Um, it's, it's been quite a journey. That's for sure. So when did you figure you did your kind of first real show right yeah Yeah. from transitioning from like interest to like profession phase that kind of phase yeah um i had convinced the high school to give me eight thousand bucks i was um a member of the student council and the drama executive and i approached each of them separately and basically petition for for money yeah and um they i I, they agreed and so we put on a show as the last year or the last um kind of big event you know theater event for the for the school so i yeah. managed to convince the school to to fund basically an illusion show that i built uh and produced and you know we teched and it was a big it was a mediocre success at best right like yeah. it was high school so it can't be that great but if i hadn't lucked out and made all those arrangements i wouldn't be sitting here and so that i without a doubt i point to that as one of the the most fundamental changes that occurred is is that one show, if I hadn't done that. Um, and the media after that, we, we got an opportunity. A gentleman saw us, and he is a hypnotist and was touring Canada. He mm-hmm. was also um, a promoter. And he saw the show and, and offered us 10 weeks on the road. Nice. And, uh, yeah, and that's, that 10 weeks turned into, well, 13 years, which grew into 135 live ticketed events from coast to coast, raised over $2 million for charities. Um, yeah, I'm just seeing every every stretch of this beautiful country yeah you name a city over fifteen thousand people and i played it yeah me too you too <laughs> yep <laughs> it's very rare that you run into place what's your favorite yeah. what's your like when people ask you what your favorite place is in canada where do you tell them uh Kelowna. oh my gosh we're in the same province at least for our, our favorites okay Kelowna. Yeah. what 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 about Kelowna makes i just it's really the only place i figure i could move to yeah i, I kind of judge it on that yeah i live here yeah, that's true. I mean, the, the whole Okanagan Valley Stunning. area. Yeah, Penticton, Penticton and all so that. Yep. Um, 
you know, the wine's great. Yep. Yes. <laughs> but it's just, I just really like it there. When we tour, uh, we quite often will go to Kelowna um, yeah. and perform at the theater there. And we'll almost always try to make it, you know, a day off or two days off. Yep. Uh, so we can just hang out. Totally. We always booked in the Osoyoos. We never played Kelowna on a regular, but we played Penticton every year, and we always booked a day before or a day after so we could, you know, enjoy the... Yeah, and I haven't really even um, explored it as much, nearly as much as I should. And Because you're still in there, and you end up going to the regular things. We, you know, we're always a little more extravagant when we go there. We stay at the the Delta Okanagan. Yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, yeah. Right in the, you know, the venue's almost across the street. Sweet. And there's a cactus club walking distance. And, That's great. Um, everything's on the water. It's it's beautiful. But uh, I remember one thing distinct, distinctly. Um, I'd done a trip with the family. We had done a riverboat cruise through France. And you, you did that trip and you're like, wow, this this place is stunning. Like you just kind of, and awe how the history and the views and everything. And so came home and almost directly went to tour. And I think one of the first stops was Kelowna. And I think going to Penticton. So I remember the drive from Kelowna to Penticton. And I went early this, to, uh, to get set up and get ready for the show before everyone else got there. Yeah. And I'm driving myself. And I just looking around, it just happened to be one of those days. The sun was perfect. Everything was, you know, yeah. green and lush and, and windows open. Yeah. And it was just mm. like, you know, I like this better than France. Yeah. Like I was blown away. And then I go back to my own country Yeah. and we have something that I think was even better. Yeah. And it was one of those times where just like, yeah, this is, this is special. It's this, so true. Yeah. This whole area. So, I mean, there's a lot of great places. I, I like the East. Yeah, um, agreed. But I don't think I could live in the East. It's just not enough. It's a winter thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I love going there. Some of my favorite restaurants are out there. Um, agreed. And, uh, and you know, there's... I, I was like, so glad Cora's moved out, out like towards Ontario. Yeah. Because Cora's was always out East, you know, east in the, yeah. the Quebec area. And it moved, and same with the west, the restaurants out west. Uh, Cactus Club you mentioned, yeah, still mainly out west, but, but Earls and the Moxies, and, all that and they was, migrated over yeah. here. They, yeah, yeah, they were they were great. And I always thought that was amazing because those restaurants seemed so like they you would think they were Ontario based restaurants. They were hip and they're cool and agreed. It yeah. felt like a totally different world. Like there was all these brands that you see that you maybe like when you go to the States, you know, and all the road signs are slightly different in colors or different. Yeah. You think, oh, this feels foreign. I remember the first time traveling out west, very first time and just a lot of it felt very foreign and very different, but still very Canadian, you know. We're the nicest people on the planet. Yeah. From coast well, I think to coast. so. I mean there isn't really anywhere um in Canada, I don't like. Yeah, um, I, you know. Have I, you been to the territories and a little bit? Yeah, um, I haven't been to Iqaluit. Yeah, no, I've been up, There's a few up there that I had I like to do, um, but you know, I've been to Newfoundland a bunch of times too, yeah. and um, all over. Grosse Morne is one of the most beautiful spots. Yeah, provincial parks in Canada. It's just stunning. Grosse Morne National Park. My favorite place in BC while in Canada. When people ask, I say Nelson. 
Yeah. Nelson, BC is incredible. And we stumbled into it. We booked it randomly. It looked like an appropriate size market for us. So we tried it out. We never did financially amazing there, but we booked it because it was just such an experience. It just, you know, 20 minutes down the road, there's this Ainsworth Hot Springs. It's like a, a hot springs carved out of the side of the mountain uh, by Mother Nature, right? So you're inside this little cave and there's people moaning and chanting, you know, and there's a, a polar dip out there. Um, and in all of the years touring, which we did 13 total across Canada, at least, uh, the most terrifying experience I ever had was outside of BC. There's Coconut Mountain, as in Coconut of the, from yeah. the beer. And right off the side of the road, it says, you know, like um, climb Coconut Mountain. Well, we're traveling with a 16-passenger vehicle on a 17 or 20-foot trailer. I can't remember at this point. It's long since gone. We unhooked the trailer and decided, yeah, let's go try this coke. Little did we know that this was going to wheel down to a one street, like one, pardon me, one laneway of just dirt road straight up this mountain that must have been like 14% grade. And at some point, there's another car. And this is like a full diesel truck. I I swear to God, I, I my fists were so clenched on that steering wheel but we got to the top and it was like totally dark we expected to take like maybe 45 minutes yeah. i think the whole experience like took two and a half hours and we were just terrified I couldn't imagine you know that's what we were going to face we thought this was just like a paved road we were those tourists you know yeah we were those guys yeah, yeah i've had a couple of those i i was on the road with uh my friend jim witter uh who I did my very first podcast with and we were touring somewhere in the u.s um but this was early GPS days. So I think I had like a, I'm not even sure if I had a Garmin at that point. It could have been a Palm Pilot that had a GPS. I had like the right. very first GPS right. units that you could ever Same. throw together. Yeah. Anyways, it wasn't, they weren't great. So we came into town, we'd done the show and we were driving out through the night, I think traveling back home or something. And it was, it was just a minivan and a trailer. Um, and I was driving. So I head out and GPS took me a different way out. I say, like, oh, okay, that looks good. And we kind of switch backing up a little bit and bit, 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 bit. And then we get up and come up over this hill and I look down and it's like, holy crap, that's a big hill. I was like, all right, start taking it easy. And it, it's been snowing a bit too. Oh, So I start, you know, going down and it just, and it's dark. You don't realize how far this hill goes down. And it was, I wouldn't even call it a hill. It was a small mountain of some sort. Yeah, no kidding. And I start rolling down this hill with the trailer. The weight behind you. And, you know, the van's full of guys and everything. And you could just, I could just feel the brakes just getting softer and softer. (laughs) Oh, boy. And softer. And the same thing, you know, you're clutching. And I'm instantly pouring sweat. Yep. Like just instantly. Yep. And I'm not really saying anything to anybody. Uh, I think Jim was up front with me and I think he had an idea. It wasn't going well. Right. Um, and I'm just trying to, you know, apply break, right. let it off. Drafter down to one or two. I couldn't even could. at that point oh, because yeah, I was fast. I was going too fast. Yeah. And by the time we got down to the bottom, there was basically no break left. It was, oh my God. it was just not, I wasn't really doing anything. And if, right. luckily it kind of, went down and kind of came back up a little bit. So it was able to right. slow the vehicle and I was able Oof. to establish, a, you know, brakes again. But it's just one of those things you don't, uh, you don't expect, it comes out of nowhere. Yep. And 
It's sure really both, scary. Yeah, I'm sure we both have a, a ton of like those. we're maybe open in a floodgates here. We had kind of the similar, but the inverted version of that on the Kogahala going yeah. uh, north up to Kamloops uh, that route. So we're uh, you know down at the bottom of the valley. There's no snow. It's rain, and then all of a sudden you drive up hill for five or so minutes, and then boom, that's no longer that light rain. It's intense snow and they had to there was an accident they had to shut the the highway down so uh, uh with a trailer with all that weight like we were towing a, a ton of stuff yeah foot on the brake i'm i'm we're going backwards like the yeah. i'm not able to, to stop and so the cops thankfully they had their cruiser there and uh, one of those suv things and they put it behind and like locked it and then when it was time to go we could like <laughs> We, yeah, we couldn't get so they were helping push and you know, and the posi traction and the van is shifting it over to the oh god, it was just you don't want to relive those days. And we hit one time with the trailer, um, just outside of day. I don't, I can't believe I remember these Davidson, Saskatchewan, population yeah. 20, probably. Yeah, uh, it's in between, well, the only two cities in Saskatchewan, <laughs> Regina, and Saskatoon. And we hit black ice with the truck and trailer, oh, yeah. you know, 110 is the legal limit there, and we. 180 degrees and you know the words that came out of my mouth brace for impact yeah that was it and sure enough we hit and we were fine but whew. yeah there are scary moments mm -hmm. a while ago um a lot of the shows we've been touring with you know a few guys and we're just renting a couple of vehicles uh and you used to be able to rent uh, like 12 passenger vans and that type of thing and they changed the Right. The laws, you can't rent those things anymore without a commercial license right. and all this stuff. So you end up with minivans. And it got to a point where we finally said, you know what? We're never going to rent, rent minivans again. And it would just always, it's a premium SUV. Uh, it's all-wheel drive. And um, the yeah. odd place you can't get it because uh, they're hard to get some places. But right. it's almost always, it's like, yep. Um, yeah. We were stuck too on a out east um on a tour and it's the only stop we had that was only two days and said, and there was no minivans available from Moncton and from Moncton to Fredericton and Fredericton back the same night. And so, uh, actually no, it was Fredericton. And then we had to get back to Halifax airport to fly to Newfoundland the next day oh, for yeah. a big show. And so they were calling for bad weather. So we leave, left Fredericton after the show and it's ice, just pure ice. And then it just switches over the, the snow and it was so deep on the highway. Um, there was nobody on the highway. There's literally one transport truck had gone through. And, and it was a probably foot to two feet of snow on the highway. Mm. You can't, and it's dark, it's snowing. And luckily for that, the grooves just from the transport truck, that's the only thing I followed. And the minivan was bottoming out. Oh my gosh. We're scraping with snow. With snow because it was so deep. And uh and we had to get back to Halifax. Um so we got into Moncton and then eventually it turned um back to freezing rain again. And then it turned to rain and then it turned to torrential rain. Wow. Like like you going down the hills there and you hit the bottom and it's like a foot of water at the bottom of these little gullies. That's nuts. You hit those um, so yeah, by the time we got to the Halifax airport, my hands, like, sure. you know, hurt yep. for, hurt for days. 
Yeah. It was clenching for eight hours. Yep. It would end up being an eight hour drive. And then, and you just, it's like, oh my God. Yeah. You went to sleep for two hours and got up and flew. Yeah. <laughs> well, then let's have you ever missed? I've come close twice. Have you ever missed a show? I'm trying to think what we have. I don't think we have. Yeah. Um, no. Yeah. I, I don't, I've never, I've come close twice. So one was, uh, uh, Alberta somewhere. Gosh, our tranny uh, transmission in the in the van went, and actually, um, we had to like we literally got there about an hour before showtime, and then it, it turns out it's a community center, and in that case, we, because we're a full production, we travel with everything, be able to perform in any environment. So, uh, it could be a theater or it could be a community center, but one means a lot more work than the other, mm-hmm. and uh, so we had to we had to to set up all, you know, as fast as we could. And it would turn out to be just a stand-up show, much what I would do on a cruise ship now. But uh, and, but we made it. And then the other time uh, was the same reason I got into hypnosis. Um, I had been studying hypnosis under the gentleman that put me on the road. Uh, and I had another mentor in, in the industry, but there's one thing from from learning hypnosis to doing it. Yeah. And so we were in we were in Brandon, I think it was Brandon, Manitoba, and the truck wasn't going to make it in time at all. I, I can't remember what the logistics was. It was some technical error. And so that was the day that I knew I had to go on stage, and we did the hypnosis show for the first time. Yeah. And like terrifying, right? But and it was again mediocre success, but it was the foundation from which from which all that grew. Um, but you know, we are faced with so many challenges in this industry that, that are so unique. Yeah. You have to be able to really, uh, adapt quickly yep. and stay calm, um, and be able to make it happen. Yep. Um, you know, the show must go on. We had several times, uh, uh, on tour, we're starting, uh, out with Brian Edwards on the Rocklands entertainment, uh, uh, schedule. We're on a, Tommy Hunter's last um, final tour and the first show was in uh, St. John's, Newfoundland mm. and uh, big show. We're going out a couple days early. We're going to rehearse at the theater for a couple days and then we start the national tour. Um, and I remember taking off from Toronto and we're getting, getting closer to Newfoundland and I'm sitting there. I could just feel the, all of a sudden I could just feel this banking and it's just like, Hmm, that's a little weird because I can't sleep on the plane, so I'm kind of aware of everything. Yeah, me neither, yeah. And it just feels like, okay, we just made a massive turn. And and I think Brian was next to me, and I, I said to him, I think we're going back. And he just looked at me like, what? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we're going back. And sure enough, the pilot came on a minute later. Uh, yeah, this is the captain speaking. Uh, you know, the whole wow. thing, we're a uh, uh, weather condition in uh, Newfoundland. We are... Uh, <laughs> heading, not sure what to say uh, here heading back to toronto yeah it's like oh gosh we're heading back to oh. toronto so we had all the guys we had like 40 pieces of luggage and, wow. um, so we uh we left i think that was a friday night and the show was sunday afternoon uh so we get back the next flight's not till saturday night same same schedule just 24 hours later so uh, rooms have to you know try to store all that's luggage and we start all over again. So we take off and pilot's like, uh, yeah, we're not sure if we're going to make it, but we're going to try. And I was like, well, what does that mean? He says, well, the conditions there change quickly. So, but you know, we could get there. Um, so sure enough, we get close and we just circle for like two hours. Wow. And then the, the captain said, well, I'm going to go for it. 
to see if the weather opens up. <laughs> There's if, words you want to hear yeah, your captain say. If you happen to, you know, we're coming to send, if you happen to, you know, feel us gun, gun it again, that means we're going to head back and we're going to actually go to Halifax because we don't have enough fuel to go anywhere else. Um, so sure enough, we, you know, three quarters of the way through to the descent and we're going to go, we're going to make it, we're going to make it. And all of a sudden, no. and then you just take off and it's like, oh no. And it's just, he had to abort landing and we went to Halifax. So same thing, Halifax, it's like three in the morning. Yeah. Um, we, we get rooms downtown, we go and we're, you know, trying to figure things out. And Brian is, you know, the shows must go on. That's always, right. you know, of course, we've got to yeah. make it. So nothing was going in, but if you have a, if you're a smaller plane, um, you can, you can get into, into Newfoundland easier. So we ended up, uh, uh, renting, uh, or chartering a dash eight out of Halifax just for ourselves. So all wow. of us went in, we landed in Newfoundland. I think it was at, uh, 12 o'clock shows at one or two. Oh my. Um, so I'm advancing with all the guys. I'm in the band, but I'm also advancing the tour technically. And I'm, okay, they have our stage plot, so patch everything, get everything ready. You know, basically we walked in, grabbed our instruments, plugged in, and had a five-minute sound check possibly. Wow, yeah. And then 20 minutes later, we're doing the show for the first time with no rehearsal. Oh, wow. No nothing. And we had a matinee, and I think we had an evening show as well. We did two shows. And then that's Those how we the started the tour. If you, if you woke up knowing what was about to happen, you'd, you'd question continuing the day. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's, it was one of those things that kind of, we just sucked it up and I just, you know, and there's some people, uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure if there's anyone in, in that trip, but I've been on other trips where you just, you know, get people who just don't want to, they just, ah, who cares? Right. You know, just, they don't want anything to do with anything and they just rather just go, go to bed and right. not worry about it. Um, but, you know, I've always come from the land as if you can make, make it work, you make it work. Same. Um, because sometimes things are happening miles and hours away from, you know, someone could be sitting in Moncton and it could be nice and sunny out, but it could be snowing like blazes two hours away, but they're sitting in sun. Right. They're not going to, they don't see that it's not nice somewhere else. Right. So you have to kind of push yourself through and yeah. And make it happen. But it's fine. I have to agree. Yeah. I feel the same with that when I'm looking out the stateroom window of a cruise ship and it's 30 degrees and everyone back home is getting 30 centimeters of snow. I, I yeah. feel the opposite. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's a plus side. <laughs> yeah, there it is. <laughs> That's true. Well, yeah, we wanted a eclectic mix of, of stories for sure. Like, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the industry is filled with them and unpredictability is the game. Yeah. I think as you get older, you try to eliminate the. Uh, possibilities of things happen. It's like, like I said, just always rent. Yeah. For us, we rent the, you know, as good as we can get, safest vehicle we can possibly get. Um, so if you have to hit bad weather or something, you feel more secure and you have a chance of making it. Yeah. Um, nothing like being stuck in, you know, a minivan with no snow tires when it's right. a foot of snow. Right. But um, so let's, I want to zip back to when you're learning your craft. Mm hmm. There's obviously a lot of mystery behind magic, right? Sure is. So with the organization you belong to, um, maybe you can fill us in a little bit. I know a lot of magicians, illusionists, whatever yep. you want to say, they've created their own 
Yeah. You know, there's a lot of creating your own thing. Yeah. Um, but there's also a lot of, this is, you know, this is the trick that a lot of people have done. You either sure. put your spin on it or whatever it is, but you know, a lot of it's the same type of thing. Yep. Is it like, is there like a secret book everyone, you know, <laughs> learns from or, or everyone right. stays pretty? The magic Bible. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, you know what? Magic is among the only professions you can just buy yourself into. Yeah. You know, you technically don't need to have talent to do it. And that's why many people have seen so many bad magicians. Yeah. And it makes it hard for the rest of us. Um I yeah the the learning side of it has certainly changed dramatically with the, the advent of YouTube, which is essentially just like everything else, it's kind of crumbling the infrastructure of of the the foundations of magic. A lot of these organizations from which I spoke of earlier, um, you could classify them as an old gentleman's club, and that generation is is very much dying. Yeah. Um, as an asterisk to the side, I'd love to chat about this with you because I'd love to hear your perspective. We'll come back to it, but. I feel like vaudeville is kind of making a resurgence. I feel like we're our, this generation of, of individuals before us that spent time looking at their Twitter boxes now realize they can come to a, a little venue with about 300 people and it and maybe not know the name of the person that's down to performing for them, but they yeah. still want to come out and do it. I, I, I feel like there's a live entertainment resurgence. But um, I'd love to, yeah, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. As far as the, the magician structure of it, um, magic and learning is, is, is so accessible now on YouTube, really. Um, when I was getting into it early on, I was really fortunate that my second mom, as we called her, she, uh, she got, she made me aware of uh, the University of Magic in New York City. And so, there was a scholarship for it, and I, I, I applied for it, and I actually got it. Um, the Slidini Scholarship Award is what what it was called, and it basically gave me, you know, free tuition to this to wow. this this University of Magic, and that paved. I mean, it was there that I met some of these incredible people. That, did you meet Harry Potter there? I did. Yeah, yeah. I got a scar, <laughs> but I can't show you where it is. Uh, Sorry, I just had to say that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Voldemort's a real dink. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fine. Uh, yeah, that's still family friendly. Yeah, that's right. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so there is there is a um, uh, there's there's a very esoteric division of magic as well. There's a lot of the people like myself. I would classify myself as a professional magician that doesn't really stick too much to the pro pro organization side of it. Like I don't perform at conventions and I don't dabble in in those those professional organized magician events. But I make my full-time career at this. Yeah. I, I invent, uh, I create, I have a piece. Well, the one video that I've, that's gone most viral is a, uh, an illusion that I created that uh, was, you know, marketed. In fact, somebody else did that illusion on Fool Us. I didn't, I didn't do my own piece. Um, and, they, and so, like, I am, I am a creator. Um, I have an overactive creativity gland is how I, I often describe it because that's why I dabble in so many things because I just love to create stuff. So yeah. for, for creativity and magic, I have no problem. But a lot of magicians struggle with, with that side of it. And, um, I, I, yeah, I, magic is really just at its core storytelling with a, vis, with a visual. And so people fail at that. Question when you say you can buy your way into it. Yep. Explain what, what you yeah. mean by that. Yeah, there's magic shops all over the place that uh, a lot of magic can be just technique. A lot of magic can be like almost, I want to say, built in, self contained. Yeah. Um, and so you can buy those routines, and, and magicians will also release their full routines, you know. Um, so it's almost like a, um, I guess, if you write a play 
yep. and you have a copyright to yep. that. And if you want to perform that play, you have to pay a copyright to that. So is that yeah. work that way? You, Less, know, you can license out yep. your, yeah. your illusion that, you're, your, that, that you come up with. Or, that kind of thing. It's yeah. more of the purchase. The, the prop has to be purchased because in, in, in the illusion side of it, it's a physical, physical prop so that the exchange of money happens in the purchase of that prop and the license is sort of emerged in with it. But yeah, as far as you know, copyright infringement, it's, it's, it's impossible to enforce it. So we, we do run into a lot of theft. Yeah. in the industry a lot of theft i've had i've had a lot of my stuff stolen as well well i mean one gentleman literally almost stole my whole show like like yeah. uh, and from the in similar naming and all of that right and that's that doesn't do anybody justice because if someone saw that quality versus my quality and they associated me with it that does brand damage to yeah to everybody so so a couple other questions with that so if you say you came up with your illusion that you wanted the license that you wanted to let everyone else use, is there like, um, you know, is there like an eBay for illusionists where you can go and it's, you sure. know, that you, you've, you, you can license your, your stuff at a particular place where everyone kind of goes or. Yeah. There's a couple you know. really, really badly designed 1980s style websites that yeah. have, you know, magicians sell their used um, props and things. There's a lot of magic distribution sites as well that offer new tricks and ideas that are just basically downloads. It's basically information. Most of the magic that's accessible is with you know cards and coins and things that people yeah. have, and that's um, very accessible. So it's also super popular, and it's it's really a lot of people enjoy seeing magic done close up. Yeah, um, and, and because it's so visceral, it's right in front of you, and it sort of changes the game. And that's why, like in the show, when when I produce a show as we were sort of discussing before we press record, I want to make sure that everybody sees everything. And from the front to the back, they've got to be able to see the show without struggling. And so when I do a card, you know, quote-unquote card trick, um, I want those three cards to be six feet tall on that screen so that yeah. the person at the back of the room doesn't struggle. And and that makes a big difference. Um, mag I mean, magic is very visual, so as a, as a producer... And as the entertainer, I, I, I need to make sure that my job that I've worked 18 years for, you know, is, mm -hmm. is visible to everybody. So would there be, um, obviously you mentioned different magic shops and stuff you go to. Is there like, um, I don't know why I keep putting in the allergies to analogies yeah. to everything. Is there like a, the, the big, you know, Costco for, you know. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Is there like a big. They're online. The biggest one out there, you just have to go to this particular store or, or has everything there that you could ever imagine. There's, um, well, there's, uh, yeah, there's a couple, but they'd be warehouses. They'd be like the Amazon yeah. is what it is. Literally, the I think the biggest magic distributor, I think, um, this might be bad, bad knowledge, but Murphy's Magic in, I believe they're in New York. And was this, you, if you saw a picture, it'd be, it's just a giant warehouse, you know, yeah. and they're just dis distributing. The, the magic industry as a whole represents about 100,000 people. It's a, it's a large, it's not as large as something like wrestling or, you know, some of the other very esoteric kind of, um, I, don't, I don't want to say fantasy, but that kind of genre. Um, yeah. there's, a, there's a big following of, of an interest group around magic as a whole. And then you have the people that just absolutely hate it. So there, there is, there is, it's either on off. <laughs> yeah. I think, well, I think some people can get angry to the fact that they think they're getting tricked. 
Yeah, and I agree with that. And yeah. my, my perspective as an entertainer is not to come on and trick you anyways. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, I, I agree why people will be disturbed and, and, and feel challenged by yeah. that. So and, is there, um, when you watch other illusionists or you've seen some of these big illusions they have on, on TV, uh, is there any of them you watch and you're like, oh, I have no idea how they did that? Or else, is, or is it always you, you uh, pretty well... Yeah, I mean, it's it, ruined. It's tainted. Yeah. 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 Just like you, I'm sure if you hear, like if you're listening to something and you hear a, a moment that's a, that takes out, you know, an error or something, it takes that away from you. You're, you're fully involved in every aspect, not just the, the, what you're seeing, you understand all the little nuances. And then when you yeah. see something that happens, it kind of it makes you realize that, that this is no longer just art anymore. This is, this for, for us, it's like, a, it's so in nature that we, we pick part everything right yeah. at least i feel so i can't sit back and really watch magic and be fooled by it no i as it's impossible a couple times i mean there are some things out there that are, are impossible to distinguish how that's how it's done but most part i have some kind of a grasp or it evolves down to a simple series of similar methods yeah because you can figure it out. so does it if you go to see another act um it must be difficult because you it's it's not the same experience. I mean, I guess it's the same for for me if I see a, a music show. Uh, I mean, it would be different because there's not. I know how everything's being done, but right. um, it's nothing. You know, there's not an allusion to, right. um, you know, a, a concert. A, right. uh, everyone's just having a good time. Right. Um, but. I do look at it completely different than, you right. know, if I took a date and they're watching, hey, I love this song. I'm like, hey, look at the lights. Right. You know? <laughs> right. Yeah. You see yeah. that light did over there? Hey, that one's not working. Yeah. How come it's spinning around? I know, there? right? Yeah. You just can't, you can't sit back and enjoy. I can't anymore. Like even when I go watch major Broadway and everything, like it's, you, I'm just looking at all of the aspects that are, are you know, asynchronously happening. Yeah. And it, but I love that part. I love, I love to, to see all the elements. Maybe that's why the producer side of me, I enjoy so much, but. I was, this is a great, little story i was i can't remember what concert it was i went to see a concert uh with uh a, gr a girl i was dating um and gosh i wish i could remember what concert it was anyways i'm always watching everything but the artist right and there was something that was going on the stage that i was paying quite a bit of attention to um and so at the end of the concert we're walking out and she's not talking to me and i was like finally we you know we'll get in a vehicle and what's going on what you know we just seen a great concert and she thought i was staring at this girl that was up a row or two up ahead of us for the whole concert because in her mind i was looking over to the right side of the stage and that yeah. was towards her and she was really mad and i was oh. like i was watching like the lights or right. whatever it was that's right. happening on that side of the stage right it really caught my attention the whole time. And I was staring at that, watching that. But <laughs> I was checking out this chick. Oh a couple gosh. rows up for the whole show and she didn't speak for me for like days. She couldn't understand, you know, that excuse didn't make any sense. Oh, that's funny. For me, I'm, like, I'm just watching the guys on stage for pizza. <laughs> yeah, that's that's so funny. And, and it's a good anchor to remember how how 
this industry is it's a different way of thinking you know what i mean like there's a lot of things that we see uh, like in a just sitting down in the theater there's a lot of things that go on that people don't recognize like they yeah. just don't under, and and once you get that curtain pulled away you oh you know what's going on you know that the stage managers calling five minutes to curtain and the audio guys doing the line checks and this is the lighting guys get the hazer started you know like it's yeah all of that stuff is 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 happening at the same time it, and as a as a, maybe the entertainer the artist it's hard to forget about all of that yeah yeah exactly so looking at other uh people in your industry um doing shows um i'm gonna just throw a couple things out and see what you think so yeah uh, david blaine are you a fan fan um, I was one of those resistant ones at the beginning, uh, where I was the David Copperfield fan. I loved all that big stuff and the showmanship and the lights and the smoke. So when David Blaine changed the game completely, um, it, it, yeah, at first I wasn't a big fan, but I definitely, I definitely have huge respect for David Blaine. He's super talented. Um, I'm not the biggest fan of the, uh, the other guy, Chris Angel, who's since faded away. I've got a couple of stories about that that I could probably un unleash, but, um, David Blaine has, has really great technique and skill. He's a phenomenal magician. I mean, this, I mean, the guy also sticks needles and stuff through his arms. Like he's, he's yeah. intense. I've never met him. Uh, I met everybody else, but, but David Blaine. I yeah. I think he, he had a point there where some of his shows were, really great and then he started doing that weird stuff where he'd you right. know i'm gonna be in a tank for like right. five weeks at a time and right that, you know and it's just like ah, that's just, you know after yeah. a while it's like that's boring you know yeah yeah but i still remember an illusion that stuck with me that he did he was outside uh and then i like the fact how he shot the things where he'd you know just be it felt very random like he was just kind of walking around and right. stop people somewhere and and do his thing and uh, they're outside his little cafe or something, and he had someone pick a card out of the deck, and he took the deck and threw it against the window, and that person, the card they picked, stuck to the window, but on the inside. Right, great trick. And it's like, yeah, holy crap. Right. And I mean, it's just like, yeah, that's you know, right. it, it. There are certain you know, because I've done a bunch of shows for years with different musicians, and I've figured a lot of stuff out just by you know, seeing what they're doing and yeah. and that type of thing. But there were certain things that just like, yeah, I, you know, that's, yeah. that's beyond. That's a fun example me. because mm -hmm. um, Copperfield, I mean, that trick is, the, the essence of that trick is been around forever. And Copperfield did that in an 80s special, but he did it on a moving train. So, I mean, right, right there it shows you kind of point blank, two different artists, same visual, but two different takes. And so each one, each method is, is similar yeah. in, in, in execution, but... I mean, the essence of it is, is very, very Just the way you present it, you can take yeah. the same illusion and just present it a completely different way yeah. uh, and make it your own. And um, yeah. yeah, it's it's quite, yeah, it's quite amazing. I'm sure there's lots of, uh, you know, really old uh, tricks that have been out there that just, just gets revamped and revamped and revamped and revamped. Yeah, um, that's and the, that's the basis of it is always the place I go first is the old books. Because yeah. you're more inclined to not, you know, no one else is probably going to be working on that same thing yeah. if you go back in history. But if you're working on the stuff that's just being sold or being released, then everybody's working on that. So I don't know if that applies in the music industry. Would you go back? You probably do grab yeah. well, I inspiration. Think, yeah. And music has cycles, right? So, mm -hmm. um, 
you know, what was popular 40 years ago will come back around again. So, uh, and I think it's what happens is, you know, people do go back and retake those sounds and just kind of tweak it a little bit and make it their own. And all of a sudden something right. becomes, you know, new again. Uh, you know, I think country music nowadays is basically reinvented pop music from the 90s right you know same type of drum loop same type of everything they were doing back then but now they've moved that into what country is now or just everything just kind of re invents itself into almost another genre or um you know but there's only you know there's only so many chords there's only so many notes available and there's only so many ideas you can make with those so you have to spin it around and i'm sure it's the same thing in your world there's only so many that's right. You know, eight principles as a whole. Uh, eight, you know, you can make something vanish, appear, you know, transposition, change, but all the, the eight of those, the yeah. basic foundation. There's eight things that you can technically do in, in, in the world of magic. Yeah, and it all boils down to to those simple principles. It's how you interpret those that make it so creative, and, and the twist that you make on it. Um, I'm curious to 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 know what do you think? Do you think uh, in terms of audience perspective and under, do you think there's a resurgence of of small events in in vaudeville style resurgent happening. What do you think on that? Could be. Um, I'm not sure if I would say vaudeville exactly. Of course. It could lend itself to that. Um, You know, for me, vaudeville was, uh, I almost look at vaudeville like Cirque du Soleil. Right. Where you get a bunch of acts that are really good for about 10 minutes. Right. Yeah, it's such you a well. Yeah, that that's true. In fact, when I started in the industry, it was in the time where you had to make a decision: are you an actor or a show? And nowadays, it's just a show. Yeah, it's just a show. You can no longer be an act anymore. I feel. But there, you're right. There was a time when, when when acts and it was just you could have your five minutes. You could have. Five that's all minutes. you had. Yeah, yeah. And the people built the careers out of you know five, ten, fifteen minutes of entertaining. Yeah. And. uh for years, I know with our family, we had um, an act on um, called the Paul Brothers and Shirley, and they were a vaude- they're from the vaudeville days. And they could do, you know, 30, 35 minutes if they wanted to, but it was really their main stick was it was two brothers and they would sing, and the one brother's wife would uh, play piano. And their main stick was they'd come out and do this song, and they'd have maybe about nine different outfits on and so each song they would take a layer of clothes oh, off wow and it would go down to these little tutus right oh yeah so and every song was themed on whatever outfit they'd they'd have you know baseball outfit and then all of a sudden they'd be taking the clothes off and they'd get in down and you can't believe there'd be another outfit and there'd be another outfit right so that was their that was always their stick and i'm sure in most cases that when they went and did the vaudeville shows that's the thing they did right and you know they had a bunch of other you know funny kind of novelty songs and that but really everyone came to see that right um and and i think back in the day that that was that was the thing you had you had your bit and then there'd be oh and here's the next little thing and here's the next little thing and that was the vaudeville right uh days now to make that happen nowadays um would be difficult because now I think everyone wants to try to do shows and, and travel or whatever they're, mm-hmm. they're doing with the least amount of people as possible. Yeah. I guess my perspective should, I should have sent like the, uh, venue the vaudeville wise. audience, you know, yeah. where there was an ongoing 
resurgence of people that were coming out and supporting live, you know, live theater on a smaller scale than 3,000 seats. Yeah, I think um, I think people aren't traveling uh, as much as they used to, uh, and there are more people spending more money uh, locally right. to to see stuff. And I think there's just more available um, than there ever has been before. Um, there's yep. lots of places to go see um, mm. shows and different things. Um, and, but it's the same thing as, uh, you know, going to, you know, a strip of highway where there's a lot of restaurants. There's going to be a bunch that are good. There's going to be a yep. bunch that aren't. So whether that helps things, you know, that there's more for people to see, um, mm -hmm. Uh, you know, the tough thing now, and I've talked about on the show lots of times, is for the music industry, uh, there's a lot of tribute shows out there. Sure is. And I book a lot of them. Um, and there's uh, a few really good ones, and the rest are crap. Right. And I hate to say that, but it's just the way it is. It's true. Um, and I think it's probably the same thing in the magic world where you think um, because you can buy a trick, you can do a show. And there's a lot of people out there who, who, because they sing, think that if all of a sudden I'll, you know, I can now do a tribute to whoever I've now have a show, but there's a lot of people out there who really don't, I wouldn't say don't have a right. Um, everyone has a right, but they're just not good enough to present at a theater where people are paying 50 bucks right. a person to come it's in. It's impossible for people to get seasoned nowadays. Yeah. I mean, the last couple of years uh, have been difficult for people. I don't know how a magician or a musician, maybe it's easier for musicians, but at least for magicians, it's harder to to step on stage and work out new material yeah. than it used to be. You kind of have to be better right off the gate than you, you know, like, I mean, I took, I figure I'm up to about 45, almost 5,000 shows. I'm, I'm curious how many you'd be up to. Oh, I have no idea. I never really right. sat down, you know, I'm probably up there but, easy. But the first thousand are like, you know, that's where you're sort of carving out who you are. And then the, and then they spend the lifetime of, of, of finding out the details. And so I can't imagine what it'd be like these days to get the polish because there's no outlet to perform at this rapid pace that we used to have. But our attendances have been like I just finished the tour. Literally, I, I from here I've got to go, and and our truck was stuck in Coburg. That's where we were. So yeah. the, the 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 truck is on its way. I got to go unload gear once I'm finished chatting with you. Yeah. That's my. But our attendances, I, almost every show is completely sold out. Like That's it, great. It's been it, the reception has been great. Well, I don't think there's a lot of people doing what you're doing. Like, yeah, well, and and like I I go through theaters all the time, and I look I'm looking at right. um, their entertainment list, and and not only because I want to see what other new acts, I also book acts, so I'm gonna see what's right. new and possible something might be new. Right. So I'm looking through different theater stuff all the time. There's right. very very little amount of right. uh, you know magic. Illusion, magic or illusion shows or anything like that. Yeah. Um, you know, a few hypnotist shows, but um, yeah. But even that is very slim now, so I think um, I think there's a place for it probably. You yeah. know, and um, we and were it's like anything. If you get saturated, and right? That's really, I think for a lot of people, you know, you build a name, um, but unless you're David Copperfield or if you're, right. you know, any of the big ones, right? Um, you know, some of the audience were going to know who you are. I've seen you before, 
Uh, but there's going to be a lot that have no idea who you are. So at that point, you say him as a, almost like a tribute act to some degree, degree. You're only going to be as good or as what the last crappy one they saw, right? So you have to really make sure that, you know, you step up your game. So people come and it's like, oh, and then they remember you, right? Because the next time you come through, it's like, he was the really great guy we saw. Um, but the problem is if they go see a bad show. Um, they question your show. Yeah, they question, well, do we chance? Yeah, right. it's, you know, it's whatever price it is, even if it's 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, whatever it ends up being. Yep. Um, then you're like, oh, yeah, but the last one wasn't very good. And, and so you, you're up against that, which is, not great for the industry. It's not great for the venue. Um, and and I think too, um, you know, I'm in a different situation with our theater here because uh, we're not a rental house or, or anything. We just produce our own shows. But we put a lot of effort in making sure the, show, sure the shows we bring in are really great. Mm-hmm. And most theaters out there don't really vet their shows. And I, I know if I worked at somewhere else, um, and it was a you know partially rental house. Um, I think the venue has a, a say to to whether they want to have you as a client of their facility. Um, and uh, you know it's 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 a tough situation because you know you have to be a rental. You got to be open to everybody. But if they come to see a bad show, it looks bad on everybody. It's not yep. just the entertainer. It looks bad on the venue. Um, I looks bad on, you know, the, wherever they were, the city they went to, I mean, every, everything about it is, is a bad experience, um, when it's not a good show. Um, so you know, we've all been there. Yeah. <laughs> we've all seen them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But I yeah, think we promoted our own shows. So we like, that was the nice, th- that was actually a blessing. Like I can't, that industry is now for me is dead, but yeah, we laid out our own schedule. We booked everything. We sold every single ticket that went in there. We, you know, every every button in those seats, we we took care of that. Yeah, that's the best way to do it. Yeah, um, and uh, but yeah, no, I think you know the industry is changing, uh, especially theater wise, all the time. And um, and from the biggest thing I see is that uh, uh, they're just staffed horribly. <laughs> right and people don't care it's 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 a nine to five job for them um most theaters are um subsidized or they're owned by the city and they're given a you know an x amount of budget to use for the year um our venue i mean we have a limited budget and we got to make every little piece of it count so we keep you know we, you count on you know uh, you know the biggest thing we get all the time is no matter what show we come to see it's great. We hear that all the time. So they'll take a chance. Right. Uh, and and coming to a show, if they're unsure, because they know that... Your name's on it. Yeah. But most venues don't look at it, things that way. Right. Um, they'll just, you know... Who's who's put the check in first? Yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a lot of issues out there with that. But, I mean, there are uh, a lot of theaters very healthy, and they're getting lots of good, you know, attendance. And um, Do you, you have know, a favorite house in Canada? You have um, the top of the lists. You're, you've got one that's so close; it's so stunning. The Sanderson Center is just so, so beautiful. Yeah, I don't do many shows there besides our family show there. Yeah. Um, it, it's yeah, it's a beautiful venue for sure, and, and I like I like everybody there. Um, 
the ones I tour with, uh, well, probably my all-time, I'm, I'm going to be there this weekend's Casino Rama. Oh, um, what a, I've never played it, but yeah. what a great space. Yeah, they're really- 5,000? Oh, how many does it see? Yeah, five. Um, cool. It's great, and the crew's great, and everyone's there is great, and it's just, it's a, you know, world-class venue. Um, but there's a lot of little venues that are really great. Um, there's a great uh, venue in St. Albert I really like. Um, uh, that's just north end of Edmonton. Um, I don't but, think I've played it. We never played. We yeah, all it's we called play. the Arden. Uh, it's a great little spot. Oh yeah. Um, I like doing. Uh, we do a lot of shows now in Winnipeg at the Casino Club Region. I like you know everybody. Most of it has to do with the staff, right? Whether sure. I like the people there or not, right? Um, and venue wise um, comes into play. But for me, it's more of the relationships I have. Um, I'm going to be in Halifax with Rebecca Cohen soon. Um, I really like uh, the crew there. They're super nice. Um, uh, actually, you know, th there isn't really any that are bad. There are some that are way worse than others. Um, but, you know, you travel a lot. It, and, it, and it blows my mind. It really does. I mean, I could I could do a whole five podcasts on experiences yeah. in, in theaters. Oh, sure. But, you know, you can, we talked about it before. It's a, uh, it's a vibe. Yeah. There's every venue has a vibe to it and you can walk and it's, and it's probably just like an office building or a nine to five job, or, you know, you can go into uh, a restaurant and there's just a vibe there. Everyone seems happy and they're having a good time and you can go into another place and it's like, everyone looks miserable and they don't want to yeah. be there. And that's the same thing with, with venues. Um, and it's, yeah. you know, that comes from management as far as I'm concerned. It just, yeah, um, nobody gets along. Um, you know, I think when you get to a venue and everyone helps each other out um, and it doesn't seem like there's, you know, there might be a boss, but, um, you know, there's, you know, I'm not an audio guy and I'm not going to help you move a light or right. um, any of those strict things that happen in some some places. And, and you just see a divide within um the people who work at the venues. Um, and that's really, I, that's sad. Yeah, I agree. I agree. It makes me glad that I'm not working there. Yeah. And that's, those are the shows you, you're glad that you just do one show and get the heck out and, yeah. and, and move on. And, you know, the show experience may be great. Um, but you know, you want to have just a great, yeah. You know, we get that a lot on cruise ships too. For the most part, the, the team is usually amazing. And then you walk into, well, a one ship and it's just like, the worst experience you can imagine. And I only work with three lines, uh, cruise lines, but one of them just notoriously in my own mind is always a step down from the rest of them. Yeah. You know, and so, you, yeah, the, the, that team is what for the artists, because on, on a cruise ship, I mean, we walk in and we've got like two hours to tech and then it's show one and then an hour later it's show two, right? It's got to be, it's a revolving door. Yeah. And so those people make your life easier or they make it hell, you know, and so. Yeah, so you, you know, it's cool chat about that. You you got into, uh, you do a lot of work on, on cruise ships. Um, yeah. How'd you land up in, into doing that? It's kind of natural progression or is it? Uh, yeah, I, uh, I, I was trying to get on for the longest time when I was still touring, doing the extensive you know, schedule every year and I was never able to put in a date. The cruise ships want you to be able to be like, next week, can you fly in and do it? Yeah, it's becoming less, less like that. But when I was joining, that was what it was. You kind of had to be ready on a whim. Yeah. And my schedule was just too, we had too many events. It was just impossible. So I, it took me like five years to get my first week on a ship. 
and uh, and it went amazing. So I was booked solid after that. Um, but it, it took a while to get there. And now, I, I, man, 2007, I did the most on a, on a ship I've done yet. I just 42 weeks. And wow. I, I mean, it's a long, it's a long time. Yeah, it's so, almost the whole year. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was amazing because the, you know, the tour, quote unquote, started down in Australia. So I did Australia and New Zealand and then Hawaii and the, or the French Polynesians and then Hawaii, pardon me, and then the first week of Alaska. I've done Alaska season a bunch and that's just incredible. Like there's some amazing visuals on that six and a half months. I was on the ship straight. That's the longest I've ever been on the ship wow. was six and a half months. And and there was a period of time in the French Polynesians, which I mean, I I I would never have seen that if it wasn't working for the the ship. But yeah. you know, it, it, what an incredible visuals! But there was a there was a series of twenty two days. I didn't do a single show. Oh yeah, like I mean, I just just the way the scheduling works. It's I never I so we tech, technically I do more than most on a ship because I'm doing a magic show and then a hypnosis show and I also do like a TED talk style like speaking event. Yeah. And so like I'm working my face off, but you know, as a whole entertainers, we only work about two hours a week. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so you've got to find yourself and the ability to keep yourself entertained in that time. And that's why I got into the vlogging and, and such intensely the filmmaking, because it was something to do. And, uh, and that, so that was a lot of fun and a challenge, but, um, yeah, it, uh, nowadays I'm, I, I'm trying to get down to maybe one or two weeks a month, yeah. at least for a couple of years to like, try to not travel so much you know like this last trip man it was just flight 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 and all of them were canceled yeah you know <laughs> yeah it's it's you know for most people you know you can listen and it's like oh that sounds terrible that you you know and it's like anything um you know things get old um yeah. and you know, yeah. being on a cruise ship is great and it's fun. That's and right. And the audience just is fun. It's fun yeah. to perform for them. That, yeah. that part is it's amazing. It's the downtime. Um, yeah. That's, it's tough. And you can be, you know, in the Caribbean for five months and you're going back to the same port that there's nothing really to see at. Yep. And then you just get to the point where you don't even just really even get off the ship because there's no sense. That's there's right. nothing there. That's right. Um, and you become a bit of a hermit. And, it's um, true. And that's, the way it is, you know, you go up to the buffet, it's just, you yeah. know, it's the same. Yep. Um, it doesn't really change much. And, yep. uh, it's a, you know, vicious cycle, uh, you know, new people come on and, and they look just like the old people. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> and your sense of anonymity has completely vanished. Yeah. And so once your show is done, you are, you know, everywhere you go, you get you get stopped, and and people say things, and that's that's really lovely, for, you know, most of the time. And yeah. then there's days where you you just want to be you, not you, the guy that's on stage. So it it, it is definitely it it's got a lot of challenges and a lot of rewards, of course. The travel, I mean, I've seen so much of the world in this industry in, in entertainer, but yeah. a lot of the you know also has been specifically because of ships, but. It was interesting. The ship uh, I just went on uh, did a vacation last month. They had uh, it was Holland America. They had a new ship, and they had uh, really inventive as far as their entertainment was going. Um, they had a uh, like a BB King's um, nightclub and another rock room uh, and a piano bar, and then their main um, uh, uh, theater. But the the bands they're you know rocking it out every night. Yeah, um, you know the odd night they'd have off, 
Um, but they're playing all the time. And I think that's what I'd want to do. Three um, or four sets a day, depending on. Yeah. You know. They just, you know, it's a bit like a club. It's like a, you know, six, nine a week club date and you're on a cruise ship yep. hanging out. Uh, you know, I'm sure same thing has disadvantages. You, you can't just drive to Starbucks in the morning or, right, right. or all those things. But, um, but yeah, if I've ever found myself uh, wanted to do any type of gig like that, I'd want to be working right. a lot. Right, uh, to keep sane. Yeah. yeah. But then it's, it's really great for a band to be in that position because you, you get really good. You're playing Absolutely. every day. The polish, yep. yeah. You're tight as a group. It would, yeah, you would get so tight as a group. Yeah, to be able to work that material consistently. And that's, that is one amazing thing about working these, these ships is like the teams in general, like for the most part, 90% of the time, the tech teams that you, you run are, are phenomenal mm -hmm. because they're doing what, you know, we would do on tour. They're doing that every day without a break for some of these guys work six, eight months straight. Yeah. And so they, they, they know that theater in and out. Yeah. And, and so that is, there is a, an amazing blessing that when you walk on a ship, you are working in most, most cases, I say that because like I mentioned earlier, there's some disasters. Yeah, there's some. Always, always, you know, most of the time in the ship industry, the disaster is not necessarily about the team. It's about the quantity of team because it's a turnover rate that's very challenging to fill a lot of times. So yeah. you could walk on this last one. I walked on, you know, there are two or three team members down and that means everybody's working yeah. hard right so it's 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 a complicated industry so it's interesting for an entertainer like you um because it's you know it's whatever night thursday night and ryan joyce is on the schedule right um and people coming out because they're on the ship but people aren't necessarily there and bought a ticket and they're necessarily coming right because they really want to see that show yep um which means they can get up and walk out yeah and it, because it means nothing to them. Right. Um, and it's a different audience to play yeah. to. But I think it's really great training as well because you have to be able to learn how to engage those people who don't necessarily want to be there or maybe they have no idea what they're coming to see. Yep. Um, you know, when you buy a hard ticket to go see you... There's investment. Yeah, people already have a, an idea what's going to happen. And... Yep. and uh, um, but I've, I've seen, I've, I've been on ships where the show starts and by the time you're 20 minutes in, the place is half empty. Yeah. Worst, yeah. worst I ever had it a couple of years ago with a, the company brought on a guest entertainer that was a new risk. So they were, wanted to see how it was. It was an eighties tribute. Yeah. And I swear 60% of the audience got up and left. And now here's one of the challenging things that you have to also keep in mind in, in, the terms of the rating system, that person that just failed miserably brings my average down. Oh, yeah. So I went to the cruise director and was like, this person was on two weeks. And I was like, I, I, I mean, you can do what you want. I'm just going to suggest out there that this person doesn't go on stage again and you put magic and hypno um, main stage at two nights a week because the, the overall ratings are we're going to we're all going to get a knock in the face for it. and so anyways they did and and so there's those things that you, you mean not that that at the end of the day means anything the company's going to they know my reputation and everything but yeah my job's to do the very best that i can so i uh, i offered that as a solution because sometimes you are faced with that that is there is the business back end side of it as well as just the the front 
the front performance side. Yeah, which is, you know, a lot of people don't realize is and how much when you get that comment card at the end of a cruise and you you give all the ratings. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they I think some people think, well, for housekeeping, it probably means a lot or the waiter means a lot. But they don't probably realize that on the entertainment side, especially, yep. that that's a big deal. It is. Yeah. They used to schedule the hypnosis. I say I say this not as a term of bragging because the hypnosis show is not about me. It's about the people. Yeah. And so everything that's funny that unfolds on the stage is, is because of them and the situation that arises. But they used to, when the, the ships were using the physical comment cards, I, I was exclusive with one particular line for, for five years. They would put me on the day right before as they, the statement attendants were delivering the comic cards. Right. So when people got out of the show on this huge rush, and like we would have, we, they, they, the hypnosis show draws a lot of people, and we would yeah. always do it as a matinee just to, just to just to pack it in there. And we'd have days where it was like 200 people they'd have to turn away, you know. It, was, it just sets the ship on fire, yeah. which is not a good metaphor. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, strategy for, for the cards, they would go around and put them in. So we, people walk back to the room and it's just total bliss and they'd fill the comic cards out. Yeah, that's yeah, perfect. Yeah. Um, so, obviously, being on the cruise ship, you've probably experienced a lot of crazy things and oh, a lot yeah. of bad weather and, and oh, all yeah. that stuff. And, um What's your worst? Uh, what's your worst travel? Yeah. Okay. This is a fun one. A, a couple. A couple. But the one that I'll point out is um, was totally situational. I was ending probably a five or six week run on. I believe it was the same ship that uh, that you guys were on when we met in Barbados. Mm-hmm. Um, that ship relocated and was about to reposition to do the European run, and so I was following the ship up, and I was going to fly out of Bermuda. Um, my show was the night before Bermuda. Well, there was a huge hurricane come in and the night that I'm on, I get back on the ship from being out all day and the cruise director calls me in the office and he says, well, okay, so here's our situation. We, we have to cancel Bermuda and you're one of the only people we know that has two specific shows and we've had to cancel all of our guest entertainers for this eight-day crossing. Could you pretty, 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 pretty please, instead of flying home tomorrow, could you stay for eight days at sea to stay to Lisbon? And, I mean, obviously we've got to avoid the hurricane and everything, and they were in a real bind. But I was, I mean... Eight days at sea is a hell of a long time to be. <laughs> yeah, so I did it, and uh, thankfully the the other group we were with, Redneck Tenors, uh, were, were uh, just a hoot. I don't know if you've ever crossed paths with them, but they also know who they are. Yeah. yeah, you did. Yeah, they're great. They just just phenomenal, and they also had, had a whole other show. So between the two of us, we main staged and the production show every single night. It, I mean, that was there was a production shows and then in between that was yeah. the redneck tenors and myself so i main stage three nights and they did three nights well two and a half two and a half yeah so i mean it's for that's as far as like like just total example of kind of the the scenarios that you run into for a ship and it certainly wasn't a disaster by any means but there's been a lot of little things like that i remember in alaska the you know just the power on the ship just went completely out you know, just and and at that point, everyone's kind of in. Not you know, the passengers are confused, and but the the team is so prepared for all this; they make it yeah. so seamless. But we never know what all happens. Let me. I'll I'll ramble on on one last little one because this is truthfully, this is probably the 
I can't, I won't mention the name of the line on this, but I, it was having just recently. I flew, I flew in to New York City to join this particular ship, and mm-hmm. my agent sent me a schedule rechange for my flight, and it was at seven. And I wasn't sure why that was. Why am I flying into seven? Because normally on the ship, we have to board and be on by like, you know, noon. Yeah. And I arrive into New York City and I get the taxi over there and I'm greeted to what can only be described as total chaos. Um, What had happened is the the ship had to do an emergency evac. And so they were late coming in to to port. And this is a ship with 5,000 people plus the 1,800 guests. I mean, a passenger or crew, pardon me. And so all of those people that flew, all of their flights were canceled and all of the people that were joining were waiting in the terminal okay. until 1.30 in the morning. Oh. We finally got on the ship and I couldn't believe it. I kid you not, at 2.30 in the morning after everyone got, they did a boat drill. Oh, the, no. Uh, these people were Quite just happy, right? livid. Yeah. And it was freezing cold in New York. It, yeah. was, it was just... I mean, and none of the scenario was in anybody's control. Of course, if someone needs to be med- medically evac, you've got to get them out. That's priority. But yeah. like, can you imagine the headache that that created for everybody? Those stateroom attendants didn't get one ounce of sleep. No. You know, these people work so hard. Intense. Yeah, those are yeah, those are the kind of oddities that happen. It's never really performance-related on ships. It's always the, the logistics of it. Yeah. I, mean, I know I'm forgetting you know, a, a dozen great stories but well yeah i mean i think any of those type of things just like touring it just everything you have to be able to adapt uh yeah. and you know trying to make people happy and and um you know people don't realize what really happens behind the scenes and what really takes to to make it all happen and um i know on, the, on this last trip oh man it was just i loved it it was a great ship one of my favorite ships i've ever been on nice. um but Man, some of the people were so rude. I mean, really? passenger-wise, just it was. I was shocked by how demanding and and everything a lot of the people were, and it was, it was embarrassing um, in some cases. And you know, wow. I, I'd apologize to for the staff, staff right. for someone I have no idea who they are, just right. trying to make them feel better. Right. <laughs> I'm just like, yeah, guys. I guess when you come in from the, the other end, you've been on their end where you're right. you're dealing with the public, and they they get nasty to you for not knowing a situation at all. Um, and, uh, you know, here you can be performing miracles to make something happen right. and then someone slams on you. And, right. and it's like, oh, that's really hard to take. Um, but yeah, it's, so it's interesting. I mean, it's, um, uh, you know, this life is, is makes you, uh, make you appreciate a lot of other things differently. Right. Um, which I agree is, with you. Which is a good thing. Um, yeah. You recognize people when they work hard. And, uh, it's true. It's funny when, here at our show, you you know for sure that people understand it because people come in and and you know certain people just have no idea. Um, you know they'll come in. And say, oh, you got uh, someone else is performing here today. You must must be great to have the day off. <laughs> and it's like and you you just kind of say, yeah, it's it's great having this day off. Right. And I work I'm working sixteen hours, but it's it's nice to have the day off. But then you get right. other people come in and they'll make a comment like, oh, you guys are really you know. I know how much work it is, what you're doing or, and yeah. you know, you don't, you're not looking for that all the time, but you know, the people who understand and then, you know, the people who just have no idea what you do, just yep. have no, it's, no oh, idea whatsoever. Boy. It's so true. And, and like, that was more prevalent for me in the touring days. Cause we would, you know, we would have people come up after the show. Of course you do this and meet and greets and things. And also magicians would come up and they would just like, 
no concept that every single person there in that venue was like responsible of me and and we had two business partners right like they just think you just send the the theater a, a little package and they say yes yes come on in we'd love to have you on December 13th you know and they have no idea about all of that that every single one of those 800 seats we sold it. you know all that souvenir program we we filled it with with local businesses we were the ones that connected and communicated and arranged and produced and it, it's so much work and and it's a good thing people don't really realize because yeah <laughs> there's so much of it that it's yeah, it makes it look more magical when they don't have any idea how much goes behind the scenes at least in my industry it's nice when they yeah they don't understand how much work goes into it so for for you um as a magician, is there any, is there certain things out there you look and say, like, yeah, I really would like to do this or not really particularly a venue or anything, but as far as magic, there's, yeah. is there a certain magic trick that you've, sure. you've been thinking, oh, I really want to, uh, you know, do this extravagant thing or whatever it could be, sir. Yeah. Do you have a list of things that you... Too many, too yeah. many, because like I, I write down and journal ideas all the time and I've had different systems over the years. I'm curious to know what you use for, for your ideas and organizing. Mine now is digital. Um, but yeah, I, I document every major idea that sort of withstands more than a couple days of interest. You know, how you come yeah. up with an idea and then it, it sort of phases and you... Well, if it percolates and, it, and it's good enough, I'll, I'll, I'll keep it and work on it. My problem is adding it to the show the hard part especially now is you know you walk on a ship or you walk in a theater and you've got to deliver your product and so it's really hard at least me i'm very self-conscious about adding things that aren't up to what i would classify as my level yeah so and that's anything that's new you can't you just can't do something new and it'd be incredible the first time it's impossible you have to do it I always said in the touring days, because we produced a new show every year like that. So we, I did a lot of material. It would take three days to get to good and a lifetime to get to great. But that three, first three days is hell. Yeah. Yeah, because you, you, you don't know what you're, you know what you're doing as far as beginning, middle, end. You've, you've thought it through. But until it's been in front of an audience, you don't know where the dead times are. You don't know where they respond. You don't know how they're going to respond. Until you figure those out, there's a lack of confidence thing that is, is until that confidence is there, it's, it's, the, it's the structural support for everything. And new material, there is no confidence, at least, at least for me. Yeah. I don't know about you. What do you do? You no, I think it's the same thing. Uh, like you could say if I was going to go on tour or starting a new show, you can practice forever. Uh, you can run the band forever. But until you get on stage in front of the audience, that's when the real practice starts. Yeah. Um, you could be prepared, um, but it takes, I know even for us here at, at our theater, we'll do a two week run. We'd be well prepared um, and would have played, you know, multiple, multiple, multiple times to get ready. But the difference between when you start practicing and when you start a show, and then when you start a show and end a show, the difference between when you start a show and end a show, that's the biggest gain. Yeah. Um, because that's where you really tweak right. everything. Because, you, like you said, you don't know how the audience is going to react. You know, yep. the, all that timing thing, and you know that's why you see, you know, the comedians nowadays they go into little clubs and they just work their act. Yep. Um, they have a spot to go um, and figure it all out, and they change it. And until until they go on tour, they've they've run that show in front of an audience, you know, thousands of times. Yeah, yeah, just a bunch of bunch of times, and it's hard. 
you know, as, you know, someone that does what you do or does what I do, there's not really anywhere where do you go to rehearse a show in front of an audience. Right. Um, there's not really any no, place to go. You have tough. to just kind of. You need that stage time. Flight time is, yeah. a, you know, you need that 10,000 hours. We do, you know, our Christmas show every year um, at the Sanderson Center. And, you know, we just do it as a one-off and we do a couple shows in the day and that's our Christmas thing. Um, but that's tough. It's really hard. I mean, yeah, you're in early, you're setting up, you yeah. get everything going, you do a little sound check, bam, you're doing a Christmas show. Yep. And it's like, wow, where did this come from? And you have no nothing to base it on besides what you did a year before because you haven't played those tunes and yep. um, you haven't been running. I mean, you rehearse a bit, but um, it's not as if you've done a week of shows and then you're, you just bam and it's done yep. and you just fly by the seat of your pants. And so the only thing you can do go on is your experience and your, you know, uh, where you are as being a professional and the amount of years and, and yep. what have you experienced before is if something happens, you have to figure out a way of getting out of it. Yeah. Um, and just making it work. And I guess it's the same with, you know, doing what you do. You, it's, it's, it's all entertainment and it's just, getting the flow right and getting everything right. It's, it's, it's true. Deal. And, and it's, a, it's a team too. And that's the nice thing about touring. I mean, is like when we did New Zealand, you know, that was three shows a day, pretty much every day for three. And even in, in Canada, that's what we were doing a lot of that towards the end as well. And like yeah. you get to show two and you're like, what show is this? You know, but there's the, like, I can't, you can't remember, did I deliver this line? Did I say that joke? You know, but, but it's that kind of consistency that makes the team work so well. And it's hard to even explain to um, people what that team like element is like when you're in a production, but when you know everything is is happening and everyone's in some kind of a sync, it's. It, it, I imagine it's like music. I mean, I can't. I don't have any musical talent whatsoever. Like I have, I have, I have total respect for for everything that you do, um, because I, I look at it and I feel like those. You see musicians and you can tell they're they're in a zone together. Yeah. Whereas magicians, you don't. You don't. It's always just the one. You don't usually see, or the two, you know, an assistant or whatnot. But in the touring world, there's actually like we had seven people on the road, and all of those people were in tune, completely yeah. with the show. And that's a that's a feeling that, that it's it's a great feeling when you've got that that relationship with with your team. But that's all gone now. I live by by a suitcase, you know. Yeah. So well, when you go on a trip now, you're able to just uh, you walk on. Because um, I know you used to carry. Props, props yeah. and a bunch of stuff, uh, but you don't do that as much now, right? Yeah, I, last year my sh my stuff was uh, lost for about eight months, so it didn't from a ship. I didn't get it back for. Uh, it was after the Australia thing. I didn't get it back at all for eight months, and so uh, <laughs> where was it? <laughs> no idea, no idea. And the worst part of it was um, my grandparents. My first one, my my grandfather, uh, ninety two and ninety. Uh, my grandmother's ninety, and they used to live two doors down for me and yeah. so uh, which was really convenient because when my gear would come or leave or whatnot and I was all on the road or on a ship they would sign for it. but um, they signed for my gear returning and I didn't realize that one prop was missing in that loss in the lot so I I lost about six grand and magic's not cheap no. when I'm flying the stuff out when I fly the show to the ship it's about 50 grand worth of equipment yeah. like it's it's a it's a it's an expensive game um, yeah. And nowadays, so since that occurrence, I haven't been so keen to ship stuff around the world. Um, and so I've been mainly doing the fly on, just me, a suitcase and a backpack, which is convenient. Yeah, it's fantastic. 
It's the best way to do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm digging it. I'm digging it. Yeah. But when we did Fool Us, though, we did a piece of, of magic that was like the, the prop was so big. It's 18 feet tall, and it was so big, the producers of the show were trying to get that same prop in Vegas and all places of thankfully they found one in Vegas because they didn't want to fly this thing right. and it was about a thousand pounds like the, the, the illusion is, is massive and sure enough um, they located one in, in Vegas and but that in itself it was just a whole not different nightmare because that prop was very very different from our version and there was only six of them I think available out there um, and go on YouTube Ryan Joy's Magic is, is my my handle and you can see um, the, the Fool Us uh, episode we were in season three yeah. and you'll see if you watch closely after you watch it the first time you'll see I'll, I'll point out one of the little things that mishaps that happen we we um the illusion is basically i call it a giant hamster wheel it looks like a big circle and then you you we put um, a piece of basically a paper in half of the circle so you could have someone behind that paper and it's like a silhouette so we had this girl basically vanish into this this thing you'll watch it and you'll see what i'm talking about but this this structure was was 18 feet tall and we needed a piece of paper that was four feet wide by by about eight feet tall and um it's it was crucial for this performance well the guy they rented from only gave us enough for two performances oh, yeah. and so we're in rehearsal and we didn't run it with the big moment. You'll see when you watch it, you'll see what I'm talking about. But we were doing this, this, this first taping and, you know, your heart's racing, Penn and Teller are right in front of you and Allison Hannigan is right there, right? And the music starts and this illusion is very technical and, and immediately there was a technical issue about a minute into it. So we had to stop and the voice of God comes on and he's like, all right, we're going to take that again from the top, you know, and, and then your heart's racing. I'm dripping with sweat at this point. So we, re we tape it again. And this time, just based on the scenario, um, the paper just shreds, shreds. And it was the only one we had left because we used one for rehearsal, which they um. taped, thankfully. And we had no options. So they went backstage and they just scotch taped this thing. And it's, you know, a big, big piece of paper. The thing that I'm on national television show for. Yeah. And they're taping it with scotch tape before the show. And I have no idea if that's going to impact the magic moment that's about to happen. So I never once sat in a moment of pure confidence in that whole taping. Oh, yeah. And, you know, and it worked and it was fine that the third taping was, you know, it was, but I mean, I was just dripping with sweat. Yeah. And, um, and so the, that ends and then there's about 10 minutes of, of online or banter, pardon me, with Penn and Teller and Allison Hannigan where they, they chop all that down into a short amount of time. And, yeah. and then Penn and Teller come up and they, you know, they, they show you what they think is, is the method for the piece that you just did. And Teller hands me his drawing that he puts on a piece of paper, which would be a really lovely souvenir if you were a magician. You'd love that little piece of paper that Teller drew. Yeah. But I was so frazzled that I'm, as he's talking, I folded it up. Just, I wasn't even thinking. I folded it up and I walked off stage and, and threw it in the garbage, not even thinking that in my hands oh, yeah. was this paper with Penn and Teller's, you know, the, the only souvenir I was going to get. Um, it ended up in a trash can, but, <laughs> but I snuck down about four hours later and sure enough in the garbage can was that piece oh, of paper. Cool. So I ended up with it and it's folded and creased. So it's a bit of a better story, but there was a, a moment of pure panic. I was like, what did I do? Yeah. What did I do? But yeah, what an experience. My only time playing Vegas. Have you played Vegas? Uh, really lightly, mm -hmm. um, years ago, popped in, played with a couple of friends that were performing back in the day when they're Lots of 
you know, bands playing everywhere, but, um, haven't, uh, I've, you know, I go, I go quite a bit and I've seen all the shows. Um, and you know, I was thinking when you said, you know, things come to a halt in the show like that, I was remember seeing Siegfried and Roy. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I went to see him, I was about 20 minutes in the show. I was like, Rrr! you know, and it's like, all right. Uh, same thing. Voice of God came on. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we have a small technical uh, issue. We'll be taking a little break. We'll be starting the show again. And, and then all we hear is a tiger on the microphone. <laughs> I know. I know. And then uh, sure enough, it's like 10 minutes goes by. And then it's just like, it's like almost like being on a, a ride at Disneyland that stops. Wow. Right. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, away we go again. And it just, just kept going. Um, but, you know, there were so many things technically going on in that show did they start it uh, again yep they did yeah it's picked up basically almost right where they were oh my. i think it was one of the machines or they had some you know they had such big it was all automated oh uh, yeah yep. and i think just something you know either they had to reboot a computer or yeah or whatever it was that something up oh, this is right. you know unless they get that fixed uh you know it's probably hard for them to jump to the next thing or it, yeah. it probably happens a lot because uh, that's quite a while ago. Um, that which, reminds me totally out of left field, this story. But I would have to classify this as the worst thing that's ever happened to me on stage ever. And it was when you said like 10 minutes into the show, the first thing I thought of is like a 10-minute break. Can you imagine as an entertainer having to like re-get the audience back on your side after 10 minutes? Brutal. And that's what made me think of this. I was in uh, Thunder Bay doing the hypnosis show. And, um, uh, you know, you, the hypnosis show is a, a formula you bring... 30 people on stage do an induction and then you do it about two hours of entertainment. Well, the, the most boring part of that is the induction, the part that quote unquote puts people into a hypnotic trance. And then uh, I'm about five minutes into the the, 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 the fun part of the, the show. I just did this induction and everyone's under and I give a direction for the, the person at center stage. And as soon as I do that person, she, she goes into an epileptic seizure oh. right in front of a full theater and like stop the show ambulance taken out but this isn't like like this isn't like a thing that i can stop and abandon yeah. we sold all these tickets i yeah. haven't even started a show so i've got to turn around and do the whole thing again oh. i've got to get 30 people back up on stage and do like it was an absolute i mean we made it work but like the worst case scenario you can imagine epileptic seizure right on stage oh that's awful ambulance stop the oh it was a 20 minute like ordeal and then hi well let's do this again yeah that's that's a tough one to come back it's brutal you can just go up and play some songs and crank brutal. it up yeah 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 that's that's yeah it's not fun at all <laughs> Oof. And I had, and then to be the kicker of it, I had it happen. I was in Colorado doing a show down in Colorado and had it happen at the same thing, but this time there was somebody in the audience. It's not mm-hmm. hypnosis related, by the way, yeah. if anyone is wondering that in the, in the, view, the listening audience. It's not that. It's just circumstance, which is totally random. Have you ever had a show where you couldn't get like, people? Well, you ended up, I, I, I was doing a show, uh, a corporate show yeah. um, in Toronto, uh, and I was, we're doing shows there and we were, I was doing production there and the, the hypnotist there, they had, um, a bunch of people. He couldn't get anyone under he had, and he had no show. It was, oh. it was basically, but luckily it was, it was, it wasn't like a theater. So it was more in a corporate kind of right. trade show, which is probably, probably a bit of the problem. There was, you know, lots of stuff going around all over the place. And, 
And, he, you know, he didn't have 30 Brutal. people up, you know, maybe he had eight to 10. Eight to 10, yeah. Um, and then it was, he was done. That was the end of the show. <laughs> Wrap it up. Yeah, that's he, You could try, he was trying, you could tell that he was just trying to think of what can I do? What can I do? To yeah. fill time. And um, there was only one time I've ever had an experience where I thought like, this is, I'm not going to do this again. And that was actually up in Timmins. And I would put it more as a language barrier than a, because in that particular venue, it was a French um, uh, university or yeah. a French college. And so um, I was assured it was um, English, obviously is the prolific language, but French is very dominant up in, in yeah. Timmins. So, I, yeah, it was a language barrier. If someone has to convert in their head um, a statement, that's that's the exact opposite of what we want in, in hypnosis or mindfulness and meditation. You don't want people to think <laughs> it takes them out of the alpha brainwave state. So that was that was a big that was a big part of it for me. Is that the, if they're translating, it's not going to be a successful show. And man, I w- I did forty five minutes and I got the check and I got out of there as fast as I could go. <laughs> My God! And I got to the hotel and I just you know you just think to yourself like when you do a bad show, it keeps with you for yeah days. Um, I assume doing when you're doing the hypnotist stuff, it's that's harder than um, the magic stuff in a way where uh, people really think a lot of time that's all put on. Right. Uh, yeah. It's it's a different game for sure, yeah. and I it was way more stressful in the earlier days. But now that I've done it so much, it's, it's certainly um, it's gotten pretty formulaic, I suppose. Um, Can you tell uh, when people coming up on stage? Yeah, um, who's you know before you even talk to them, who's going to be good and who's going to be bad, or yeah. who's not going to be able to you know who's going to go under, yeah. and who's not. Um, I I can't answer that affirmatively, but I make guesses when I bring people up on stage. I'm I'm trying to repositions the people reposition the people that I think are best. I want them in the center. center yeah. So I'm moving people around that I think intuitively are going to be um, the better and the most animated, but. That's a guessing game. Yeah. I would say, you know, I've, I've got a pretty good success rate with it, but then sometimes then I'll look over and the most animated person is on the end. <laughs> I moved them there. But my goal is to eliminate the people that are definitely faking it um, because I have a legitimacy um, problem. And, I, and if I can do everything I can to make it as legitimate as possible, then I've done my job. So I'm, I'm anybody that's faking it or obvious that they're, they're faking it, I definitely get rid of them. Um, but it's a short show. Like on the ship, I'm supposed to do 45 minutes. I walk in and immediately tell them that 45 minutes is not going to happen. Yeah. If they want a show that's going to like set the ship on fire or again, bad more for, but if they want a really great event, then I need an hour and 15 Yeah. and, and they'll give it to me knowing, but, um, the, the touring show was two, oh, at least two hours, oh, yeah. two hours. And it's fun because, uh, you know, the, the hypnosis skits, I guess you would call it, continue through the intermission. Oh, yeah. And that's really fun because yeah. you get to get people, you know, that are just participants, just there to watch. They're now like heavily involved and yeah. get to see it first. Oh, it's just a, it's just a fun experience. And it, it must be great because it's, it's, you know, it's a different show for you every It's a microphone. You know. That's yeah. what I love. It's a microphone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's all I got to take yeah. and my computer. But yeah, there's a lot of, that's right. There's a lot of variability. Even the show is completely scripted. It is, you know, it's very, very, very scripted. It's, it all boils down to the people. So it changes yeah. from, from day to day, person to person. I know people bringing, uh, I've had to bring people up on stage uh, plenty of time yeah. uh, for different whatever in our shows and that. Yeah. And, you know, you learned, for me, I learned that the funny guy in the audience 
is not the guy you want to bring up right. because they go pretty stiff. Um, they like they like dishing it out, right? But if they they're not in control. They'll either shut down or they'll try to shut you down. Yeah, yeah. And either one of those is not a good situation. That's right. Um, so yeah, I always used to spend when I used to do that a lot. I used to spend quite a bit of my time the first few songs of the show just looking at the audience and figure out who I'm going to get. Right. And seeing, Absolutely. You know, yeah. That's a big part of it. Absolutely. I'm always peeking through the curtain and it's not because I want to see what, how many people are there. I want to, I want to eliminate that time where I'm searching for the right person. I want to walk down the stairs and go you and you. Yeah. <laughs> Which is super crucial. Yeah. yeah. So we'll wrap things up here in a couple of minutes, a couple of questions, questions. Yeah. Um, I always been asking lately, um, do you have a particular venue or place that you haven't performed at that you've, it's on your bucket list? Yeah, I really, really want to get up into the territories. I've always thought, talked about that because I, I don't know, you've probably played Fort Mac a ton, right? Fort McMurray, have you? Uh, a couple times. A couple times. Yeah, we maybe to, four times. Yeah, we used to go four times a year. We, like I was producing four shows. So it was a magic show, hypnosis show, a tribute show, and then a variety show. So we would hit Fort Mac four times a year. And there was just something special about it because it was in the middle of nowhere. People would just flock out and enjoy it. I always felt that that was going to be White Horse and Yellowknife, you know, and, mm-hmm. and, the, and the territories. I'd love to say that I've, I've performed in them, in them all. Um, yeah, as far as, I, yeah, th- I would put that at the top of my, you know, interest list. It's not, you know, I, I feel like I've been lucky enough to, to see and do a lot. You know, I've been to Asia and China and, 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 and Egypt and all over, all over North America. There's not probably a place I haven't at least stepped onto in yeah. North America. Um, so my, my big goals, I feel, I feel really happy with the career. Um, it's, it's, it's it's the Canadian aspect I really love. I love being home. I love I've turned the vibrancy on Canada way up because I'm always so far away from it. I, I feel yeah. that I've just I'm so drawn to our our, our beautiful country that uh, I'd say those those places. Well, I think for especially people who live in Ontario where where we do we have such a large opportunity to go everywhere but to Canada. Yeah. Um, because usually if you're going to go west, you end up going to Vancouver or you know, BC or Alberta. Yeah. I know most people skip over Manitoba and Saskatchewan. Right. right. Um, Thompson, Manitoba, man. Oh yeah. I've been there too. Anyway, Letkeman theater. The, um, yeah, but people just don't tend to travel Canada as much and they should. There's lots, you know, lots of awesome places to see. So true. And it's really easy for us just to, you know, and probably in some ways cheaper for us to just grab a flight to Florida and, right. and you know, do that type of thing or Caribbean and then, right. and that's flying to Calgary and spend, you know, two weeks just circling around Alberta and BC. Yeah. It'll change your life. It's just, it's beautiful. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, so where do you see, do you have a 10 year goal for, for Ryan Joyce? Yeah. You? I want to, I've been trying to produce TV actually lately. A magician with the imagination as a filmmaker is my, my quote-unquote slogan, so um, there's a filmmaking side of this that I really enjoy. My goal long-term, I suppose, would be um, to try to get something produced that's not just YouTube. Yeah. We filmed a show last year. I did a taping in uh, Fergus, Ontario, I mentioned, it's, it's hometown, and it's it's about an hour outside of Toronto. It's a very touristy town um, that's built around this, you know, the gorge. It's a very beautiful area. And it's a very artistic area. We have uh, it's flocked incredible artists from all over the, the world because it's so so beautiful. And 
last year I, I took a kind of a gamble and I essentially rented the theater. I brought four internationally acclaimed magicians and variety artists to this theater and we brought Mike Bullard uh, as well to, to come host. Yeah. And, um, and we, we did three live tapings at, at the theater and uh, at the result of that was a sizzle reel that I'm trying to, to get out there and the essence of the show is it's Wonder Town. It's the most magical town in the world, how these incredible world-acclaimed artists end up in this small 255 little theater in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. And um, and so, you know, that's... It was a huge learning curve in that process, you know. Like, I, I every part of that we produced and, and, and you know, filmed all HD, all all ready to go. But it, what a what a different industry this 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 is that I'm starting to slowly learn. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm really community driven as well. So the little hook that we, we did to fill the theater was, um, I, I, it was, the show was free, but people had to buy dinner locally and their dinner ticket became their show ticket. So oh, that's cool. yeah. So the tourism board was there with us for this event and they actually collected all the receipts. And so we know that over these three tapings, we generated over $10,000 of revenue just for our, our restaurants. Wow. So my goal is to be able to do tapings like that on a more regular basis. That's yeah. kind of kind of the, the effort. So I've been full steam ahead in that industry, um, trying to trying to capture an audience, you know, to, to support that. It's yeah. going to be a long journey. I know that. I'm not. I'm not. You know, blind to the road ahead. But uh, I certainly I view it as a nice, fun challenge because I enjoy the work immensely. Yeah, sounds really great. So, where's the best place for people to uh, to find out more about Ryan Joyce's work? What direction do you head them to? Yeah, RyanJoyce.com, and I'm on all the social media, of course. Um, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook are all all Ryan Joyce magic. Um, my, my, the filming is fergusfilming.ca and that's where people can learn about the show. In fact, they can see the sizzle reel if they want. Uh, we, we got it online, but you have to log in. We're not going to spam you or anything, but we just can't show that yeah. to the public. So, um, really proud of how it turned out. I'll show it to you after actually. Yeah, I'd love to see it. Yeah. Well, thanks for, uh, spending a bunch of time here and, uh, it's a great conversation. I really enjoyed it. Me too. Thanks so much for having me. I'm thrilled. Yeah. We'll, uh, see you in a ship somewhere maybe. That's great. I okay. look forward to it. Thanks. Thanks.